You're going to notice as we jump into the Word this week and next week that we're calling the messages here Backtrack Part 1 and Backtrack Part 2. Very simply, it's because the books of First and Second Chronicles cover earlier material. It's stuff that we have seen before. Last week, we carried ourselves uh, to the point where we saw in 586 B.C. that Israel was carried off into Babylon, and that was the end of the time of the kings, and they were carried off into captivity. Well, the Chronicles, they touch on that, but they go, actually, if you take them from the very beginning, they touch briefly on, uh, even on creation and all the early, uh, the early genealogies that are there, and they make it not a lot of fun to read in those kinds of contexts. But they come, they take us back. So from where we wound up at the end of 1 Kings, we're actually now today, we're going to back up as we come back into the life of David, which is something you've heard before, and next week Solomon. We're actually backing up about another 400 years prior with things we've already seen. Does that make sense? So we call it backtrack, parts one and parts two. Perhaps the one way for us to think about this, because as, as Christians, we probably spend a little more time in the Gospels than we do in something like First and Second Chronicles, is to remind ourselves that, yes, the Gospels are some of the same material, material layered on top one of another, and some offer new things and new insights, and each one is written for its own distinct purposes. And so we have books within the New Testament that are like this, where this, this lays on top of this. And when you think about the New Testament, one of the, the Gospels in the New Testament, one of the things you can pick up, and, and I want you to grasp this because with First and Second Chronicles, they have their own intention. First and Second Chronicles, they're focused more on David and Solomon. They're focused more on the temple, the Ark of the Covenant. And that's the emphasis that is there. And in the Gospels, you can get a sense as to the focus. Just I want to, I'm trying to work with something you know to help you understand something you might not be familiar with. But think about the genealogies that you do know if you spend any time in the Word at all. But Matthew, in his genealogy, covers the genealogy of Christ back through David and Abraham, and he stops there because he's trying to lay out the fact that Christ ultimately is the legitimate one promised to the nation of Israel. Mark comes with no genealogy at all because he's presenting Christ as this, in his servant role, one in his kingly role, Matthew, one in his servant role, and that is Mark, so a servant doesn't need a genealogy. Luke, writing to a more Gentile audience, takes Christ's genealogy all the way back to Adam because he's presenting him as to the one who is for the, and his role is for the entire world. The work which he does is for all mankind. And John carries Christ's genealogy all the way back to before time when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he describes the second person of the Trinity. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Takes it all the way back to there and the necessity of Christ's being the one who is both fully God and fully man. So there's a New Testament example that we can understand. Well, that's what the chronicler was doing. He was layering this in and saying there's, there's, there's an emphasis that I need to bring and there's some things that we want to point out that were not revealed as you we went from Samuel through the kings, which is primarily the area they cover. So with that in mind, if you could understand 
that we are backtracking time-wise, let's just read our text for today. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. We probably in this series, part one and part two, are going to hit on, if you will, that one particular idea that just that jumps out of each of these books and says something unique from what it's already been covered. But it will give us a context for this, and it will sound familiar. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, and we covered this back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that David wanted to build a house, and God said, Nope, not going to let you build a house for me. But here's what wasn't covered. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon. For I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you. This is David speaking to Solomon. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God, as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. If you've been with us through this entire series, you know we've, this sounds very familiar. David wants to build a house. He's told he cannot do it. That gets passed down to Solomon. Solomon was young, and this is what Cruiser covered for us. Solomon was young, and he needed wisdom. David is praying that he might have wisdom, to seek wisdom, and uh, so that he could do what's, what's necessary here. But in telling David that he could not build the house, as we saw in 2 Samuel, God said, but I will build a house for you. Significant, amazing promise made to David. And effectively what he was saying is that you will never... You're, Offspring will never seek to reign upon the throne. The rightful heir to the throne of Israel from here on must be your descendant. So here's what's going on, if we could. I would just like to make this simple observation that this this is not simply about David. That's what we have to grasp. That God was clear about Christ. He was clear about Christ. You say, well, where do you get that in there? Well, it's there. Let's put it this way. First, he was clear about the bloodline of Christ. Think back with me. We're not going to go back and look at all the scriptures. They're there. When Adam and Eve fell, what did they do? (laughs) They tried to cover themselves with leaves. God ultimately will say, that's probably not good enough. 
But he promises, he promises a coming deliverer. Where's that deliverer going to come from? It's going to be the seed of Adam and Eve. One of their offspring, somewhere down the line, is promised that he will come and he will defeat the evil one. That's Genesis chapter 3. So we follow the story a little bit longer and we come to Genesis chapter 12. And God seeks out a man by the name of Abram, eventually Abraham, he will change his name. And he calls him out of the land of Ur, the Chaldees, where he is, and he calls him to a land that he will show him. And he promises three things to him. He promises he's going to give him land. He's going to give him seed, meaning he's going to make a great nation of him. So he's going to have many, many, many offspring, more than you could number with the stars of the sky. And then he makes this amazing promise. He says, and through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So what has God just done? He pulls Abraham out. He identifies some things. He's giving him land. He's going to give him seed. And this blessing that he's going to give to him when all the nations of the earth shall be blessed identifies yet again that of all the peoples on the face of the earth, Messiah, the one promised in Genesis 3.15, is going to come out of this heritage that is Abraham's. His descendants will eventually be the ones who bring forth Messiah. And the story continues to go. And so now from then on, we're following Abraham's descendants who become the nation of Israel. And they go through all the things that they go through. And eventually, they wind up in the land. They are a great nation. This time comes. They're a great nation. They're in the land. And through what David has accomplished... Because he was able to push back the Gentiles, he was able to claim more of God's promise to, uh, to Israel about their land than any other place. So he brings them, through his abilities militarily, he brings them to this place where they reach the peak of where they have ever been historically as far as possessing their land. And when he gets to that place and sees that all is there, he looks and he says, this ark is in temporary dwellings. It's in a tent. I want to build a permanent place for it. And that's where God says, no, it's not going to happen. But I tell you what I will do. Your son will always be the one with, with the rightful heir to the throne. That's why, when we think about this, one of our, one of our favorite verses, I, I always have to say this. Some of you have heard me say this a hundred times by now. But one of our, our favorite things we account in every Christmas program is what? Mary and Joseph, right? Baby's coming. And the, Augustus calls for a census. Because, David is of the, uh, because Joseph is the house of lineage in David, what do we have to do? we got to travel from up here in Galilee. we got to get down here to Bethlehem so that the baby can be born in Bethlehem, fulfill prophecy there. But the point is, as Luke is writing it, as Matthew writes it, he's within the lineage necessary of David's offspring. David's dynasty, if you will. So in this promise to David that he'll always have a son to sit on the throne, God is being clear about the bloodline of Christ. Now we saw that before. 
We saw that written before. So you go, yeah, Gary, you're just reviewing for us. Well, I said it was backtracking. But there's something else I believe is here. God is being clear about the blood of Christ in all of this. Think through it with me, if you will. Adam, Genesis chapter 3, they fall, they sin. God promises some offspring of them that will be the Messiah. But what did they do in their guilt, in their shame? They covered themselves with leaves. But God covered them with skins of animals. What was God telling them? God was saying to them, a leaf will never cover the sin problem. Blood must cover it. And so they saw the death of these animals, probably animals that were very dear to them, that they knew personally, God understand, they were in the garden. And this was personal to them. And so first, through Adam, we see that only blood can cover for sin. And so then we wait for this thing to unfold. Then we got to the time of Abraham. And Abraham was told he's going to be a great nation. But if you go a little further into the account and you get over to Genesis chapter 22, there's another event that takes place in the life of Abraham, which gives us more clarity. Because now Abraham's son of promise, the one through whom the line will continue, his name is Isaac. God tells Abraham, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one through whom this is all going to happen. Take him, bring him up to a mountaintop, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Hebrew says, believing that God was able to raise Isaac up, Abraham obeys. Now, you've got to get the picture here, friends. You have to understand how, what God is communicating through the picture that is here. So they walk up the hill, and how, they have to bring stuff for the sacrifice to be able to burn the sacrifice on the altar that's about to happen. And so Abraham takes the sticks that he's going to use to start the fire and he puts it on Isaac's shoulders. And Isaac carries his place of death, a place where he, he's going to be sacrificed. He carries it up the hill. Does that sound familiar? It really does, doesn't it? And as, I, as Abraham raises the knife in order to sacrifice his son, who he has laid out here, God interrupts him, and he says, Abraham, do not kill your son. Stops it right there. Instead, here's a ram in the bush. And so he then kills it and offers sacrifice to God there. I believe there's something more than just a picture happening here, friends. Do you recall when when the people of Israel were being led into the promised land and God said there's all sorts of pagans there and they worship in all sorts of different ways. And one of the things you will run up against is child sacrifice. Never sacrifice a child. Never use a child to try and appease me. You see, 
This is what I believe he was telling Abraham. It'll never be child sacrifice. What do we have instead? We have an animal. Remember the animals with Adam? Remember this animal here? And what is it? The animals become a placeholder throughout the entire covenant of the old covenant. The animals are the ones who... who, um, are used as sacrifice. They're a placeholder until the promised one comes. But that's all. But not human sacrifice, particularly not children sacrifice. And so we learn that in Abraham. And now we come to David. Now David is this incredible guy. If you look at, at Matthew's genealogy... You see, David stands out. There are two people who stand out in the genealogy, and this is the one written to the Jews, Matthew's Gospel. There's two people in the genealogy stand out. You know who they are? Abraham and David. It's interesting that his summary statement is, so from Abraham to David was 14 generations, from David to the captivity was 14 generations, and from the captivity to Christ was 14 generations. There were other significant people alive at the time of the captivity. He could have talked about Isaiah. He could have talked about Jeremiah. He could have named Daniel. Those guys were around that time frame. He could have picked them out and said, this generation's from Abraham to David to Daniel. And he just says to the captivity. Only two are identified in that summary statement. That's how significant that they are. So if David is so significant, if he is the great king, if he's the picture of Christ in his kingly role, the one who will come again, if he is so magnificent, it causes us to ask the question when David says, it would be a blessing if I could have the privilege of building a house for your ark. God says no. We saw in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We have to ask the question, Why? He was so incredible. Why do we not see him building this house for the ark? And that's where 1 Chronicles gives us further information. Because 1 Chronicles says, you're not going to build it. Now, I don't believe this is a criticism. It's not a put-down. It's not a judgment upon David. It's a clear statement of fact. David's role was to, was to expand the land to get, uh, to get control and defense against, up the, uh, against their enemies. But though he says to his son Solomon, It was in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. Verse 8, But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have made Uh, great wars, you shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. That was God's call upon him and it was his role to bring judgment upon the nations. That's not a criticism. Well, if it's not a criticism, if it's not a put down, what is God getting at when he says, but your son Solomon will because he's going to reign in a peaceful time. I believe there's another thing we're learning about the blood. Remember? That's what this is about. Clear about the bloodline from Adam to Abraham to David and on. Now we're being clear about the blood. From Adam, blood is required. Abraham, it's not child sacrifice. David, it's not the blood 
of war. Because you know what we are like, right, people? This is what we are like. If David builds that house, it is only going to be a short amount of time before God's people, the Israelites, begin to believe that we can wage holy war on anyone that we want. And because we're sacrificing them to God, it's all okay. And God is making clear there is a distinction between the blood of war and the blood of the one represented in this whole sacrificial system where they put the blood on the mercy seat and the animals are the placeholders through all these centuries until this one comes. They are to be completely separated in your thinking. He is saying to the people of Israel, do not mix the two. Would mankind mix the two? Absolutely. We've heard it enough that half of us here at least can tell me what do radical Muslim terrorists say when they're killing their victims? Anyone? Allahu Akbar. They're making praises to God that this is somehow pleasing to their God that they would kill people in judgment for him. Friends, don't ever buy into the idea that somehow we worship the same God as the Muslims. Because God is making it clear through David that there's a distinct difference between the blood of warfare and the blood of the one we are anticipating to come who's being held. Uh, the placeholder is the blood of animals, which can never, we saw that in Hebrew, that's not going to take away the thing. It just, take away sin, it just covers it. So I say it's a placeholder until Christ comes. So he's making sure that because David was a man of war, we don't mix this thing up. Instead, he lets it pass to Solomon because Solomon was a man in a, who reigned in a peaceful time. So here's where I believe we can go with this, friends. God was clear about Christ, clear about the bloodline as it moved from generation to generation, and clear about the blood, that it's not child sacrifice, it's not the blood of war, it's ultimately only going to be the blood of this one who comes. So God was clear about Christ so we can be confident in Christ. So we understand with some, with some clarity the significance of what the blood of Christ was all about and that it was that blood alone, nothing else that can offer that perfect sacrifice to pay for the penalty of your sin and my sin. And so these temple sacrifices, typifying Christ through the animals, were to be identified with the peace that Christ would bring. His death was a peace-bringing death. It was not the death of warfare and chaos. It was not a death of darkness. So just listen, if you would, as we wrap this up, just, just listen to a couple of verses. And you've heard them before. They're, they're sitting there, wide open view in our Bibles. 
But notice how First Peter writes, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's the blood we're waiting for. The blood of the sinless one. Go back to those genealogies I referenced briefly. Matthew. The blood of the one who came through the lineage of David and back up to Abraham. He would be a king and he will come in that role again. But he's identified by that bloodline. The blood of the one through Mark, who there is no lineage, is a servant. And he gave his life as a ransom for, men, uh, for many. And that's his first, in his first coming, his role was that of the servant. The blood of the one who was traced back from Jesus directly on back to Adam, that that sacrifice was going to be capable to solve the sin problem for the entire world. Not just for the Jews, but for the entire world. And the reason that is, is because it's the blood of the one who is the Word of God. The second person of the Trinity, as identified in John's Gospel, who was able to come, take on flesh, live the sinless life, as Peter described so that we weren't redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Oh, my friends, what magnificent truth comes to the surface about the most amazing Savior we could possibly imagine. And through the centuries... God has been revealing him and revealing him and revealing him and making who he is and what he would do clear. Why? So that we can confidently put our faith in him and know this is the one who is able to save me from my sin and to know that in him I am truly at peace with God only because of what he has accomplished. But precisely because what he has accomplished. Confidence in Christ. I trust we will each leave here today with that concept, that idea renewed, refreshed. Maybe it's challenged us because I've got a feeling some of us are hanging on to this thing about am I good enough? Hanging on to the law and I gotta I gotta live good enough in order to be acceptable to God. No, 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 I got Christ. And his blood is good enough. And so I rest in him and I learn to understand what that peace is like. We may have some people here who've never entered into that relationship, friends. But let me tell you just one simple thing. The scriptures reveal but one solution to sin. It is this shed blood of Jesus Christ prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, fulfilled when he hung on the cross, 
and he is coming again as king. But he alone is who the scriptures point to. So if you dismiss him, you leave yourself nothing else for the sin problem that we're all plagued with. So think about that, would you please? Father, thank you for the joy of opening your word. Thank you, Father, for the magnificence of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that uh, as we might, as people in our fallenness, we might tend to confuse what it is you were looking for. You made it clear Blood alone is the solution to our sin, but it's not the blood of infants. It's not the blood of war. It is the blood of the revealed Christ who came in sinless perfection. Oh, Father, may we exalt in him today. I ask in Jesus' name.